Hi, everybody, and welcome into a brand new episode of Locked On Nittany Lines, your Penn State podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Monday, July 13th, 2020, and today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. I'm your host, Kevin McGuire, contributor to AthlonSports.com, and in today's episode, we're going to talk about an article that will never see the light of day on AthlonSports.com as I show you what would have been my ranking of the Big Ten's toughest out-of-conference schedules for the upcoming season. We'll also take a look at the revenue numbers that were reported by USA Today as the Big Ten continues to lead the nation as far as total revenue and revenue sharing is concerned. But we'll also take a look at what to expect over the coming year as the dynamics of college football and college athletics as a whole continues to change in a not-so-positive direction. So we'll take a look at that, take a look at some of the latest non-conference scheduling news that's continuing around the country, what to take a look at this week, and... To close out the show, we'll have some fun taking a look at some blasts from the past with a classic video game setting a brand new record on the market and another classic movie from the past returning to number one at the box office. Lots of stuff to get into. It's going to be a fun episode. Make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcasting apps such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Whatever you use to listen to podcasts, you can subscribe, rate, and review. We're looking to get to 100 reviews on apple Podcasts. so if you enjoy this and you're subscribed on apple podcast please leave a rating leave a review we really want to hear from you guys and find out how we're doing and what you like about the show and just help spread the word because your subscriptions your ratings and reviews will help with the growth of our podcast on all of those various podcasting platforms and we always encourage you to be a part of our show by sending in your questions and your comments to us on social media you can find us on twitter facebook instagram and twitch at the username locked on nittany so, with all that out of the way, sit back, relax, and let's get into today's episode. So, as you know by now, I am a contributor to AthlonSports.com. I get various assignments throughout the course of the year, mostly during the season when that's going on. I'll do some game previews for Penn State games and, you know, kind of reaction, things to look forward as the Nittany Lions progress through their season. And now, of course, in the offseason, I'll do a lot of uh, reflecting on what just happened over the course of the previous season, what to look forward to in the upcoming season, you know, the typical uh, preview kinds of content that are out there. And lately, it seems as though there's been a lot of... Uh, focus on the upcoming schedules for the upcoming season. Uh, recently on Athlon Sports, I put together my list of uh, the power ranking of Penn State's opponents. Now, we kind of discussed this on the podcast as well, but I also have the, the article out there on Athlon Sports. I'll link to it in the show description if you still want to check it out. Now, there have been some times when I'm also asked to do some more Big Ten focus articles for uh, off-season content. And one of the things that we're going through right now on Athlon is doing the, the, the non-conference schedules for the upcoming season. Now, last week I had an assignment due that was actually supposed to be posting today, I believe, <laughs> ranking the Big Ten's toughest non-conference schedules. So, as, of course, luck would have it, the Big Ten announced last week that they are going to cancel all non-conference games. And, of course, we discussed that and on Friday's episode. If you want to go back and listen to that with some fresh reaction to that, we will get a little bit more into that later on in this podcast. But, of course, this is an assignment now that is not going to be posted on AthlonSports.com for understandable reasons. So what's the point of ranking and sharing and discussing uh, a ranking of the toughest non-conference schedules in 2020 if there are no non-conference schedules? So. Yeah, it stinks for me because I put in some time to putting together this article and now it's never going to see the light of day. But 
because I still have a copy of it on my computer, I can tell you how it would have looked if it were to be going on with uh, non-conference games from Big Ten teams this year. How I ranked the Penn, or the uh, the Big Ten's non-conference rankings for the upcoming season. And I'll tell you right now, Penn State's is right smack dab in the middle if I were to rank the non-conference schedules for uh, the Big Ten this year. I had Penn State at number six on my ranking of all 14 non-conference schedules. I made note that they are getting home games against Kent State and San Jose State, neither of which should be a very tough matchup for the Navy Lions. Their biggest obstacle, of course, would have been their road trip to Virginia Tech on September 12th in Week 2. The first ever trip to Virginia Tech. This, In fact, this is what I said about Penn State. You know, Real briefly, it says, Penn State makes its first ever trip to Virginia Tech in the first meeting between the two schools this season. But it is unknown if the Hokies will pose a viable threat to a strong Nittany Lions squad. Either way, Lane Stadium can be electric under these circumstances. Home games against Kent State and San Jose State should be good tune-ups for the Big Ten contender. Obviously, I feel as though Penn State would have been able to win easily two of those games, and I still think that they would have won at Virginia Tech if that were game to be to be played. But, of course, uh, with those games no longer be taking place, it's kind of irrelevant. But, I, like, as I said, I had Penn State's non-conference scheduling right smack dab in the middle. Uh, number one, I had Ohio State just based on the strength that they're gonna have, they were going to have to go to a very good Pac-12 program in Oregon. Uh, their home games against Bowling Green and Buffalo, not too much of a contest, I think, for the Buckeyes. Uh, and I think uh, going out west to play possibly the best team in the Pac-12 would have given Ohio State the, the toughest game on the non-conference schedule among Big Ten teams. Number two on my uh, ranking was Wisconsin. Yes, they do open against, or they did open against an FCS opponent in Southern Illinois, but they also had a home game against Appalachian State, which I think could have been a, a tougher contest than a lot of people were expecting because Appalachian State has that history. Uh, Penn State knows this from firsthand experience, and of course, years and years ago, we know what happened at Michigan, uh, and of course, the, their game against Notre Dame that was going to be played in Lambeau Stadium. I, I felt like that was a pretty solid non-conference scheduling effort from Wisconsin. So I had them at number two, just because I think Notre Dame probably would have been the tough, the second toughest game that any Big Ten team was going to play this year, even though it was going to be a little closer to home. Still going to be a lot of Notre Dame fans in Lambeau if that were happening. Number three on my schedule, I had Michigan State. A road game to BYU I don't think is ever very easy. Uh, home game against Toledo, probably easier. Home game against Miami. Probably not the most difficult of games, but I do think that Miami would have been a, a tough matchup for Michigan State because I think Miami will improve a little bit this year. But I also think that based on the fact that I didn't think Michigan State was going to be all that great this year, it probably knocks it the, the difficulty up a little bit for the Spartans. So maybe that's kind of what my line of thinking was. Number four on my list was Michigan. Uh, after that Oregon game and after the Notre Dame game for Wisconsin, I had Michigan's road game at Washington, uh, also in week two probably uh, right up there probably the third toughest game on the big 10 schedule this year uh for a lot of reasons so i thought michigan had a pretty decent non-conference schedule you know ball state at home not going to be uh, as tremendous challenge and arkansas state probably could have given michigan some trouble not enough to really cause too many concerns but i thought that michigan's uh, schedule having to go out to washington a team that uh, I certainly don't think it's at the height of where they had been, but certainly still a, a good challenge for Michigan early on in the season. 
I had Purdue at number five. You know, Memphis and Air Force at home, not the easiest of games. And then they have to go to they had to go to Boston College, which uh, certainly would have been a, a tough matchup for them. So I thought Purdue's uh, non-conference schedule probably could have been a little bit higher on my ranking, if I'm honest with you, because uh, the overall strength and consistency of that schedule is probably a little bit better uh, than maybe one of the teams above them. But like I said, I got them at number five because uh, none of their opponents are too overwhelming. Although Memphis is probably going to be a problem for. Was probably going to be a problem for Purdue. I have to stop talking as if these games are actually happening because they're obviously not. Uh, and then after Penn State, I had uh, Maryland at number seven. You know, their big game is was going to be at West Virginia in uh, week three. Iowa had it number eight based on having to play Iowa State, uh, but they get that game at home. I had Rutgers down at number nine, although that probably could have been a little higher because I think Syracuse will be a little bit better this year. I think a road game at Temple is not the easiest of games for Rutgers. Uh, so I think Rutgers probably could have arguably been one or two spots higher if you wanted. I wouldn't have uh, held it against you. And number 10, I had Nebraska. Their biggest game was going to be a home game against Cincinnati. Again, that's probably a tough game for Nebraska. So maybe you could put Nebraska a little bit higher. But Central Michigan, South Dakota State, I don't think we're going to be uh, too overwhelming for Nebraska. I had Minnesota at number 11. I felt a little uh, dirty putting them that low because they get BYU at home. They had a home game against Florida Atlantic. Those are two games that probably fly under the radar. They're certainly not against power conference opponents, but you know, they're not the, the easiest of games. You know, the, the schedule looks relatively easy for Minnesota, but you, that arguably could have been one or two spots higher. I just had difficulty putting them much higher than what I did. I had Northwestern at number 12. Um, you know, not a whole lot going on. Northwestern's not a conference schedule. Home game against Tulane might have been an issue. Number 13, I had Indiana. Uh, they had Western Kentucky, Ball State, and Connecticut uh, on the road at UConn, I should say. And number 14, I had Illinois. Uh, again, another Big Ten team playing UConn, this time at home. Uh, they also had Bowling Green and an FCS opponent in Illinois. So there you have it, my ranking of what would have been the Big Ten's non-conference schedule for 2020. I felt like I put in the time I should at least be able to share it in some capacity, even though those games are non-existent at this point in time. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to take a look at some of the financial details that were coming out as reported by USA Today. Again, very promising time to be in the Big Ten and a very fortunate time to be in the Big Ten. It's also a fortunate time if you need to buy something for your car because rockauto.com makes it easy and affordable to find everything you need for your car or truck. rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. They know how to make a happy customer and they know how to save them a couple bucks. Go to rockauto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. All you have to do is go to their website, type in the make and model of your car into their search bar and it's gonna bring you up a complete database, a complete catalog of every part that's available for your car or truck. Whether you need wipers, you need oil, you need a tail light. If you need anything for your car, it's going to be available for you and you're gonna get the best price whether you're a do-it-yourselfer or a professional. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com there is absolutely no question that being a member of the Big Ten has its financial rewards. Just look at what has happened with this conference really since the launch of the Big Ten Network about a decade ago. The Big Ten revenue sharing has been skyrocketing and it continues to lead the nation as far as how much money 
each school in the conference is getting. And in the total revenue game, the Big Ten continues to lead the way. Now, the SEC has certainly been a very solid number, too. And the SEC and Big Ten, they've been one and two really for a number of years now. And it's not even really close when it comes to revenue sharing. The Big Ten and the SEC lead the way. Uh, the Big Ten does have the overall financial edge over the SEC at this point. According to Steve Berkowitz of USA Today, the Big Ten brought in a revenue, a total revenue, of $781.5 million for the 2019 fiscal year. The SEC had the second highest with a revenue of $720.6 million. So the Big Ten had roughly $61 million more in total revenue than the SEC. Not that the SEC is really hurting with the finances right now, because if you look at the other conferences, just within the Power Five conferences, the next closest conference in total revenue after the SEC 720.6 was the Pac-12 with $530.4 million. That's about $190 million less than what the SEC brought in. So that is the gap right there that all these other power conferences are trying to even out compared to the Big Ten and the SEC. If revenue is your thing, and of course money is always going to be a thing, because as I say, the bottom line is always the bottom line. So the Pac-12 certainly is uh, trailing the Big Ten and the SEC. The ACC not even hitting $500 million. They're bringing in $455.4 million for the last year. And then the Big 12 rounding out the Power 5 with $439 million. I don't know if the details for the, the Group of Five conferences has been reported by Steve Berkowitz. I didn't look into that. But I will say it's going to be considerably lower than what the Big 12 has. Whether the, the American Athletic Conference probably has the next highest revenue, I'm guessing, uh, followed by the Mountain West, or maybe it's the other way around, but I would think it's the American Athletic Conference first. Uh, that would be a very small fraction of what the Big 12 is bringing in. That's, that's what you're talking about when you're talking about Power 5. You're talking about the revenue sharing. Obviously, there's a lot of benefits to being in one of these power conferences. That's why some schools in that group of five would love to get an invite. Uh, that's why a school like Rutgers school, uh, well, not so much Maryland because they went from the ACC to the Big Ten, but Maryland was in such a dire financial situation that being in the Big Ten certainly had a tremendous upside in getting themselves out of that hole. Uh, so we'll get to those two schools in just a second here. But that's why schools like Cincinnati, schools like UCF, they would love to get an invite to one of these big conferences, even if it is the Big 12. Because even though the Big 12 lags behind the rest of the Power 5 conferences in terms of total revenue, the revenue share that each member of the Big 12 is getting is actually pretty decent. So according to Steve Berkowitz, each school in the Big 10, or I should say, the, the 12 members of the Big Ten that aren't Maryland Rutgers because they're still getting their 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 fraction of a share as newer members of the conference. Uh, each member of the Big each other member of the Big Ten, uh, all 12 schools up to Nebraska will be getting or we're getting 55.6 million dollars. Again, that also leads the nation, and it's not even close. The SEC schools, except for Ole Miss, were getting 45.3 million dollars. Uh, and then you go to the Big 12 because the Big 12 schools actually get the third highest revenue share. Remember, the Big 12 has 10 teams. So even though they have a lower total grossing uh, uh, revenue, they're actually dividing uh, more money to those schools. Now, they don't give an even share to every member of the Big 12. I think Texas and Oklahoma get the highest share. Uh, so the range for the revenue shares, it's, it's not that big of a difference, but you know, it's $38.2 million to $42 million. So schools like Texas and Oklahoma probably getting that $42 million, um, maybe Baylor, 
TCU probably getting closer to that $38.2 million. I don't know the specifics of what school gets what, but I, I do know that Texas and Oklahoma, they're getting the larger share uh, in that range for the Big 12. So again, while the Big 12 has the lowest total revenue, they're able to distribute that to fewer members because they only have 10 members. So uh, the math works out. That's why the Big 12, I think, is not going to be as easy to convince to jump into any kind of expansion anytime soon because even though they may not be getting that total revenue, they're getting a pretty decent revenue share. Uh, so it's not quite what the SEC gets or certainly not even close to what the Big Ten gets, but it's more than what the ACC schools are getting and more than what the Pac-12 schools are getting. ACC, again, uh, with a different way of distributing their revenue and uh, because they have a range between $27.6 million and $34 million. I don't know, again, what school is getting what. I would imagine that Clemson's probably getting that higher end. Uh, and I, I would guess a school like Florida State probably gets closer to the higher end. I'm not sure where Miami would fall into that, but I'd be very curious. So you know, you're getting somewhere between $27.6 million and $34 million. You're probably getting the, the smallest revenue share uh, out of every Power 5 conference school out there if you're, in a member, if you're a member of the ACC. That's why a school like Maryland jumping from the ACC to the Big Ten Made so much sense from a financial point of view. There's no question that Maryland is far better off now or will be once they start getting their full revenue share as a member of the Big Ten. Say what you will about the tradition. We get that, but we all know that money drives everything right now. So I, I do think that you know financially, certainly made so much sense for Maryland to go from the ACC to the Big Ten. I think Maryland and Rutgers will start getting their full revenue shares pretty soon. I forget exactly when they start getting that full revenue share, but you know, they're still getting revenue share. I don't know what the, the number is for those schools, but obviously it's gonna t it takes a few years once you join a conference to start getting or start being eligible for your full revenue share. Nebraska just started getting their full revenue share the last couple of years, I think. So that's just how it works. And then, like I said, the Pac-12 uh, they've got the third highest total revenue, and each school in the Pac-12 is getting $32.2 million. So that looks like it's a straight, uh, even distribution throughout the Pac-12. Now, of course, th that is for the 2019 fiscal year. We all know there's been a lot of changes that have directly impacted what's going to happen with the 2020 fiscal year. Uh, the loss of the college basketball tournaments, uh, conference basketball tournaments, and now... Uh, you know, in addition to all the other sports calendars that have been disrupted, we know that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have cut all non-conference games. And that's just the start. We are probably going to find out more about what the SEC is going to do. They have some meetings today on Monday to discuss some of their future plans. I don't know if the SEC will make any decisions official just yet. But I would guess if they follow the same kind of timeline that the ACC is working with, uh, we'll know some definite information about what's going to happen with the non-conference schedule for SEC teams later this month. The ACC has announced that they're going to have a decision by the end of July. I think the ACC is probably going to wait to see what the SEC does. So if the SEC comes out and says something this year or this week, the ACC will probably follow suit. And I think the Big 12 is kind of riding the coattails as well, kind of reacting to what the other Power 5 conferences do. I don't know if the Big 12 or the ACC really has the, uh, the the power or authority to be one of those game changers like the Big 10 and the SEC have. I think the Pac-12 kind of waited to see or wait for the Big 10 to be the first domino to fall. So the loss of non-conference revenue games certainly hurts because you lose TV product. And we all know the revenue is basically coming from media rights contracts. So uh, you know, a lot of times when people talk about you know how valuable playing college football is, and people will 
who don't really follow this stuff will ask me, I was like, well, how are they going to make any money if they can't sell tickets to fans in the stands? And yes, you're going to generate some good revenue from selling tickets to fans, but the bulk of your revenue is coming from what you're getting from those TV deals. So yes, being able to sell tickets to fans, it's nice. And a school like Penn State with 100,000 seats, over 100,000 seats that they can sell, uh, they can make some good money just on revenue. But the, the bulk of these schools are making the most of the majority of the revenue from the TV rights and the media rights uh, deals that are tied into these conferences. So that's why a school like the big uh, school in the Big Ten, they can they have a softer pillow right now or a softer cushion by cutting their non-conference games. It's really going to hurt a school that's in the MAC. You know, the, it's been reported that MAC schools are losing over ten million dollars by not playing Big Ten schools. Uh, that includes Kent State with their $1.5 million contract to play Penn State. Now, of course, we'll have to wait and see how this all plays out as far as those contracts are concerned, whether a school like Penn State will pay Kent State the $1.5 million for having that game canceled. You know, necess- Technically speaking, Penn State didn't cancel the game. The Big Ten did. So I don't really know the legal ramifications, but I guarantee you some lawyers are already knee-deep into this stuff, uh, taking a look to see what power uh, that can be had in the courts. Uh, there are a number of MAC schools that have multiple games against Big Ten teams. I think Bowling Green is one of them. I think they were playing Ohio State, and I think I mentioned Illinois. So schools like those uh, that have multiple games against Big Ten teams, they're hurt the most. And, you know, there are schools that have one game against a Big Ten team, but maybe had one game against a team from the ACC. So they're waiting to see what the ACC is going to do. So it's the group of five conference schools that are going to be hurt the most by these losses of non-conference games. Because even if they do manage to reschedule any non-conference games on their schedules uh, to make up for it, they're not going to be making the same kind of money they would be getting by playing a a team from the Big Ten or the ACC or the SEC. Uh, Those conferences are in the most dire straits right now. So that's why the revenue for the Big Ten makes it easier to make these decisions with regard to their upcoming schedule. Now, if the, the next domino to fall is the cancellation of conference games, then we're in a whole other boat here. This is a whole different uh, conversation that we're going to have moving forward. But for right now, simply cutting non-conference games, it's manageable for a conference like the Big Ten. It will be manageable for a conference like the SEC. Uh, The Pac-12 can certainly float by for one year. As much as we pick on the Pac-12, they're not in the worst situation out there. Maybe long-term there's some more serious concerns, but, you know, the revenue numbers for the last year kind of speak to the the power that is being one of those power five conferences. You're able to make these kinds of decisions with your non-conference schedule and get by for at least another year. It doesn't mean that big 10 schools are not feeling the pinch right now. We've seen a number of schools uh, make some adjustments to their budgets, you know, coaches taking uh, cuts in pay, uh, you know, contract negotiations, maybe being put on pause for right now. That was the case with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, apparently where he's not only taking a cut in pay, but uh, any discussions about a possible extension to his contract seem to be have put on hold given the whole state of the pandemic. So Big Ten schools, even like Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State, they're going to be impacted, but they're not going to feel a pinch as much as Bowling Green and Kent State, maybe Cincinnati, uh, those schools. They're, they're in a much tougher situation right now. So that's why being a member of the Big Ten has its perks. And it certainly makes getting by everything that's going on right now just a little bit easier. It's not easy, but it's a little bit easier. I don't know about you guys, 
But over the last few months, I know my wife and I have taken some time to just sit back and relax and maybe watch some old shows that we haven't been to watch in quite some time. At the start of this whole pandemic, when my wife started working from home, she started rewatching Mad Men, uh, which was a great show. I didn't watch every episode in her rewatch with her, but I watched a lot of it. So I kind of uh, checked in every now and then when I wasn't doing something else. I would sit down and watch uh, whatever Mad Men episodes she was into. Uh, when we finished Mad Men, it was time to find the next show to watch, and we've been rewatching Lost. We actually have never rewatched the entire series since it originally aired on TV. I know my wife has gone back and watched the first couple of seasons of Lost, but this is the first time we've actually watched every episode from the start of the series up into its series finale. We finished it on Sunday, and I will say just briefly that rewatching the first five seasons of Lost was really fun. Rewatching the sixth season and the final season was a little bit of a chore, but we got through it, and I'm now looking forward to seeing what's the next blast from the past that we can go back and check out. Speaking of blasts from the past, though, uh, two from my childhood have recently popped into my headlines on my Feedly as I scan the different websites for some news content that we can share on this podcast. And I thought just for fun it would be be cool to mention them in today's episode because you know we need something a little bit more lighthearted every now and then, something a little off topic. We will do this from time to time. This one really spoke to me because one of my personal favorite video games of all time is the original Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo Entertainment System. I grew up first with the ColecoVision and an Atari 2600, but of course the bulk of my video gaming youth was spent on a Nintendo Entertainment System, later a Super Nintendo, but the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, is what first got me seriously into video games at the time, and I played Super Mario Brothers I don't know how many times over the course of years. Now later on, I actually dabbled a little bit in collecting some retro games uh, when it was easy and cheap to do so with some old Nintendo games, and I probably bought about 10 copies of the original Super Mario Brothers at a Funko Land or a GameStop for in the bargain discount bin or whatever. You could get copies of Super Mario Brothers for like 10 cents uh, at most places. And if you're ever paying for a copy of Super Mario Brothers, don't spend more than a couple dollars on it. It's a ripoff. You can find copies of that anywhere. Uh, so it's, it's one of the cheapest games because it was packed in with every Nintendo that was uh, manufactured in North America and I guess in Japan. But uh, I think that Super Mario Brothers, in some form, is the most common video game out there, as far as I know. And if you spend a whole lot on it, you better be getting something that's truly unique. That's why, when I saw the headline that a copy of Super Mario Brothers sold for $114,000, I was floored. Now, I knew that this was not the same kind of copy of the game that I would have been getting from the, the retro bin at GameStop back in the day. Uh, this had to be something that was still in the box, and it was. It is now the most expensive video game ever sold on record, beating the previous record from February 2019, which was $100,000, $100,150. Again, what makes this copy of Super Mario Brothers so special is the fact that it is still in its original box. Now, as I mentioned, Super Mario Brothers was basically packed in with every NES. So if you had an NES, you probably never got a copy of Super Mario Brothers in a cardboard box. It's pretty rare to have bought a copy of Super Mario Brothers by itself. So if you have a copy of just Super Mario Brothers in the cardboard box, in the shrink wrap, 
that is a considered a gold mine in the, the collecting community. It's kind of like finding a mint Babe Ruth baseball card, I would guess. <laughs> or it's not quite an Onus Wagner card, but it's pretty darn close as far as video games are concerned. Uh, but, to, but to find one in a box in its original packaging is pretty fantastic, or pretty rare. What makes it even more rare is before the time where they shrink-wrapped the video game, they actually had a little cardboard hanging tab built into the box. So if you find one with that, you're in for a true gold mine. And that's what made this particular copy of Super Mario Brothers selling at auction for $114,000 so special. So I just had to throw it out there. If What is your most uh, prized possession? What, what's something, not necessarily just a video game, but have you ever spent an exorbitant amount of money on something just to have it as a collector's item? I'd be very curious to see what you had to say. The other blast from the past, from my childhood, that popped up in my newsfeed is Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, which hit number one at the box office for the first time in 23 years recently. I saw this on comicbook.com. Uh, what made this notable, of course, is movie business is basically on hold right now. All those big blockbuster movies that I was looking forward to seeing this year, I'm going to have to wait until maybe in the fall, maybe even later after that. I don't know. But obviously, the whole pandemic shutting down the whole movie industry uh, has really put a hurt on the entire box office total revenue shares that are out there. So we're seeing drive-ins start to open up and really kind of uh, return to fashion for a lot. And, of course, these drive-ins are showing a lot of classic movies. Movies like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, and, of course, these old Star Wars movies. So Empire Strikes Back apparently has been uh, hitting it pretty big at the drive-in scene, and that's why it's bringing in the number one spot at the box office. It's not bringing in a whole tremendous amount of money. I think it was somewhere around the price it costs for a, a mint copy of Super Mario Brothers, to be honest with you. It's not much more than that, but uh, that's just the current state that we're in. But Empire Strikes Back hitting number one at the box office for the first time in 23 years. Now, it was originally released back in 1980, so it hit number one at the movie theater box offices in 1980. When it was re-released in 1997 as a, a kind of an enhanced version by George Lucas with some extra computer graphics, so of course we all know that story if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, that came out in 1997, hit number one at the box office in 1997, and now here in 2020, here we are, Empire Strikes Back is number one at the box office. So it is now holding a pretty distinct title, or a unique title, where it has been number one at the box office in three separate decades. Not three consecutive decades, but three different decades, and I think that that's probably a pretty rare feat. I don't know how many movies have been able to pull that off, if any have at all. Uh, I'd be very curious to hear that. I might have to reach out to uh, Dan Merle if you follow him on uh, YouTube. Uh, he's also he previously worked for Fandom. He does this uh, weekly look at the box office charts when there are box office charts to announce uh, to break down. I'll have to reach out to him, see if he has any thoughts on that. Uh, but number one at the box office in three different decades, 1980, 1997, and 2020. It's been pretty cool to see. Obviously, we want to see things return back to normal so we can see some uh, some new movies <laughs> at the theater. But I'm kind of curious, you know, given this conversation with Super Mario Brothers and Empire Strikes Back hitting my youth hard right now and you know, rekindling the nostalgia factor in me, I'd be very curious during this whole pandemic, have you been enjoying any media from your past, whether it's a, a video game, movie, TV show, uh, it doesn't matter how far back you want to go either, but have you been able to go back and check out something you've been kind of disconnected from over the past how many years? I'd be very curious. Maybe, you, maybe you've got a family, maybe you've got kids and you're showing off some of the things that you had when you were growing up, whether it's a movie or a TV show, or maybe even a video game. I've seen some of my friends on Facebook 
hooking up an old Nintendo or Sega Genesis and showing their kids uh, Sonic the Hedgehog or you know, Super Mario Brothers 3, playing those games with their kids. And you know, obviously, video games today are much different than they used to be, although you have access to some of these classic games as well. But a lot of people have been hooking up those old systems to those new TVs, which uh, you know, can be a little bit of a technological nightmare sometimes. But if you've been doing that, I want to hear about it too. And of course, you know, have you been going back and watching some of these classic games that have been airing on uh, the sports networks? I know Big Ten Network every now and then will have that Penn State Day. And it kind of hits me by surprise. I don't know about it in enough time to let people know about it. But uh, obviously, there have been a lot of games. I know I recorded some off of the Big Ten Network. They're sitting on my DVR right now. When I get a chance, I'm going to go back and watch some of them. There's a Penn State-Nebraska game from the 80s. Uh, I think there was a uh, there was a bowl game somewhere. I, I don't remember which one it was, but I've got a couple of games. I think the 1995 Rose Bowl is now on my DVR right now. I'm looking forward to going back and watching some of those games. So maybe you've been doing the same as well. So let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, at LockedOnNittany. Let us know what kind of uh, nostalgia factors you've been experiencing and having fun with during this whole pandemic. But that'll do it for this episode of Locked on Nittany Lions. Thank you so much for tuning in and subscribing and rating and reviewing on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. From Apple Podcasts to iHeartRadio and everywhere in between. We are really hoping to get up to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts in the month of July. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to help us out a little bit with our promotion on every platform, but especially Apple Podcasts, please take a moment of your time and leave a review. Let us know how we're doing on the show. We also want you to always stay socially connected with us by following us on all the social media platforms. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch using the username LockedOnNittany. I'm Kevin McGuire. You can give me a follow on Twitter as well, at KevinOnCFB. And I will have some more additional content coming up on AthlonSports.com. I've got a couple of assignments I'm working on. I'll be sure to relay them to you in every way as possible. I also have a newsletter. So if you want to check that out, go to KevinOnCFB.Substack.com. I've got the link in the show description. You can subscribe. It's a free newsletter. We have some fun with it. I also share some thoughts on the state of college football from time to time. That's the main focus. But we'll also branch out and have some other discussions as well. In the next episode, we'll continue to monitor to see what happens with the non-conference scheduling. Again, the SEC could have a decision coming up very soon. We'll take a look at that and how it impacts the current state of college football moving forward. But we'll also start to take a look towards Penn State's climb to 900 wins. They're going for their 900th win this upcoming season, hopefully, crossing my fingers. But we're going to begin taking a look back at some of the more memorable wins along the way, some of the notable wins that Penn State has accumulated throughout the years as they look to join the 900 win club in college football. Again, subscribe, rate, and review on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Give us a follow on all the social media platforms. Before I go, make sure you check out the Locked On Big Ten podcast because I'm sure they've got a lot of stuff to say about the Big Ten scheduling news that's been coming out. Locked On Big Ten on the Locked On Podcast Network. Check it out. Tell your smart device to play it right now. Until next time, everybody, have a great day. Go on to know today. We'll be back later this week with another episode to talk about all things Penn State football. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you later.